Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. If you are new to the Motor City Hoops podcast, I am your host, Bryce Simon, a former D1 Hooper, current teacher, coach, husband, father of three amazing kids, and contributor at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. Before we get into this episode, I want to encourage you to go check out episode 70, where I was joined by Detroit Bad Boy editor, Sean Corp. And speaking of Detroit Bad Boys, make sure you're checking out the website consistently as myself and all the great content creators are putting out daily Pistons content for you. But let's talk about this episode where I'm joined by one of my absolutely favorite guests, back for his third time on Motor City Hoops and an incredible basketball mind, the best draft scout I know, and an, and a con- credentialed NBA draft analyst at that, host of Locked On NBA Draft, known on Twitter as at Draft. I want to welcome Richard Stamen to the podcast and thank him for joining us today. Hey, I appreciate you having me. I'm very excited to be back. It's been, what, six months since we last did this? Yeah, I think so. I think it was the middle of the summer whenever we did it with the the draft and the lottery upcoming. So before we get into this one, I do want to let you know that we recorded this episode on Sunday afternoon and will not release it till Tuesday morning. So that is why you will not hear any conversations or topics that may have come from the game against the Thunder on Monday night. With that said, on today's episode, we'll have plenty of current Detroit Pistons content for you as I get Richard's outside perspective on some of the Pistons' young pieces like Sadiq Bey, Killian Hayes, and Cade Cunningham. But with Richard being the NBA draft guy that he is and the current record of the Pistons, we thought this would be a perfect time to start looking at the upcoming 2022 NBA draft and prospects that might interest Pistons fans. Wes Davenport has put together some great sheet or sham questions to lead us into that, and we will also take some time around the NBA before closing out the episode. But before we get into anything specific, Richard, I just want to get your overall thoughts on the state of the Pistons' 22 games into this season. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. I think the first, however many games it was without Cade Cunningham, were, to say the least, um, hard on the eyes. <laughs> and then, you know, and then even then, I would include the next two games where Cade's first two games he just did not look ready. And then after that, it all started to click. I mean, you look at like the Brooklyn game as one where everything just you could tell is a whole different experience and a whole different team from that what we had seen before to that. So I've liked it. I really have some questions about long-term fit i think all around you know we've seen a lot of negatives so saying i like it i get it as a stretch in the moment but i do think the long-term upside is very clear with the team still okay so let's just stay on that you brought up long-term fit what is there certain personnel that you're a little bit nervous about like i know for me like i'll just i'll make a leading question here then but like I've questioned a little bit, like, is Jeremy Grant and Cade Cunningham, like, is that fitting together? Did Jeremy come to Detroit to be the top dog and now Cade has taken that? Is that a long-term fit you're talking about? Is there something else that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I do think they can coexist. It depends on what Jeremy wants. Uh, Also, because, like, the whole thing with Jeremy Grant, it feels like since he exploded after the first five games last year, it seems like all we've heard is he's a trade piece. Like, they're going to sell high on him. He'll go somewhere where he's going to be lower usage, not put up 20 points a game. So I don't know. It feels like a damned if he does, damned if he doesn't kind of staying or being traded. The same thing's going to happen, right? Like it's going to be Cade's team or he's, he's going to go to someone else's team where he's not the top dog. So having that expectation is unrealistic. But what I was more talking about 
was just that like you see the flashes from some of these guys. Obviously, it's hard now to say Sadiq Bay as one of the guys you see the flashes from because he's just been so bad this year. But you know, you look at Cade and Killian, it starts with them. And Isaiah Stewart has still I mean, he's I feel like he's almost declined this year to an extent. I don't know what the stats say year over year. Like obviously he's still doing well, but like I, don't, I think his rookie year is a little bit more impressive so far. But the big long-term thing I have a question about is just um, it, they don't have a rim protector. Like it's Isaiah Stewart and Kelly Olenek. Those are not rim protectors. So that's kind of my long-term fit, and I think that'll change a lot of how Cade Cunningham plays with a different mold of a center. And I think when we get to the draft prospects we're going to talk about on this episode, there's a few there that may fit into um, that piece very perfectly for the Pistons. But let's stay with the current roster. You brought up Isaiah Stewart. I would say my opinion was it has to do about expectation. Last year, there was kind of low expectation for him coming in. So it was exciting to see this guy that just played with high energy, you know, ran the floor hard, would finish around the basket, started to show a little bit of a three-point shot you know, a little bit, not a ton. And then we just haven't seen the progression. And I don't know if it's the ankle injury and the, the limited offseason or what it is, but I do think it's been a little bit disappointing in terms of that, in terms of we haven't seen the progression. But I want that to lead into Sadiq Bey, who you mentioned, because I think right now Sadiq Bey is the guy that the fan base is most disappointed with and most frustrated with. What did you see, like kind of build on it, I guess, for the listeners, Richard, what did you see in Sadiq Bey coming out of college? What did you see him in year one and then what are you seeing this year that's I guess maybe that you don't like yeah so I mean coming out of college I felt he was pretty much a three and D guy um maybe make some passes he had some impressive stretches at Villanova making some really nice passes he wasn't ever like flashy in that regard but um mostly three and D and some passing this year I mean I don't think I need to really say anything too deep about it the the three especially has been down uh, just looking at the statistics, even the defensive metrics are down, but a lot of that is make-miss oriented, which I think is a little bit flawed in judging defense because you can have the best defense of your life and the ball still goes in. So I, I, I have some reservations about stats like that, but overall, just all around, everything is down for him. It, it really, I don't think it's a deep dive, 38% to 28%, like 40% to 35 there's a lot. Like in the same points per game, the only thing that really feels like it's gone up is the rebounds and maybe some passing. Yeah, and he, I think he's definitely shown an improvement uh, in rebounding and passing. Like, I think he's shown an, a willingness and a focus to go to the boards. I think we have seen him improve his passing, especially early in the year. That may have leveled off recently. But you you brought up his defense. So I have two more questions about him. But the first one is the defense. Do you think he can truly be a high-level defender? Because I'll be honest, of all the things we want Sadiq Bey to be, when we say 3 and D – I'm not sure I'm sold on the defensive side of it. Like when I watch him against some of these matchups and I, I realize he's just a second year in the league, but do you really see him? Like what kind, what level of a defender do you see him? I guess, is he like going to be a guy you think can really guard individually or just a really high level team defender? What kind of defender do you think we can see from him long-term? Yeah. So my whole expectation with him out of Villanova was he's a floor defender, right? Where uh, or actually I realize how terrible of a word that, phrase that is but like you get him as a defender that's not going to make mistakes but he's not going to be a lockdown guy like where it's like every night you can kind of rely on him just to not be a liability which i think a lot of people underestimate that how valuable that is as a defender just not you know having to worry about them being a constant is pretty important especially to winning teams that matters long term um my whole thing is he's not going to be a lockdown defender so kind of in line with what you said but 
on defense, I just expect him to be there. So I want to ask about Desmond Bain, because this is a guy that you've talked, been tweeting about recently. And he's a guy that now I think a lot of Pistons fans are going to compare Sadiq Bay to because of how their rookie seasons went with three-point shooting. So, but Desmond Bain has improved his game. So my question is, in what areas has Desmond Bain improved his game and do you think that that's a mold that Sadiq Bey can follow? Should he be trying to follow that? Because a lot of Pistons fans don't like that he's trying to add these other aspects of his game. They just want him to stay in his role as a 3 and D. So can he follow the path that Desmond Bain has outlined, or does he just need to settle into his role? Yeah, so I'll kind of answer this backwards. Um, I think with Sadiq, the difference between the two is that he didn't really show the flashes of creation that Desmond Bain did at at TCU. Like I saw it a lot. I went to most TCU games and watched all of them on like the away games and everything. The difference between the two as creators in college was massive. Like Sadiq Bay's best creation ability was always posting up. Desmond Bain could take guys off the dribble, pass out of drives. What um, much more athletic, creative finisher is not scared to finish over defenses. I don't think all that can really be said about Sadiq Bay. So uh, my whole take is I think Sadiq Bay should probably stay as a three and D guy, but that's the long term vision. However, why would you want your players not to get better in other areas? So, like even Duncan Robinson, right? He's thought of just as a shooter. He is so much better now than he was two years ago in so many other areas because the Heat started, you know, making him get better at it. Because if you don't have a fallback option, you're kind of screwed. Like That's what Duncan Robinson does. He's an elite cutter, really good finisher at the rim, and passes well. Like You don't hear that when you talk about Duncan Robinson. You think he's just J.J. Redick shooting off the three or Corv or whatever. You have these reputations, but in reality, those guys do more. And I don't know. I think it's a good thing to have long-term. Have him struggle so he's more comfortable when it actually matters, is how I would put it. And if there's a time to struggle, it's right now where the team's not really, I don't want to say they're not trying to win, but where they're going to go through struggles as a team anyway. And winning isn't the, you know, the only priority, I guess I should say. The improvement is a huge part of it. No better time than right now for a guy to continue to work on his game and improve. But let's move on to to Killian Hayes, a guy that started off the season very polarizing. I feel like as of late, he's become everybody's favorite player. And you, you really can't question Killian Hayes anymore with the Pistons fan base. It's been a really interesting change. I don't understand how the narrative has changed. He's really endeared himself to Pistons fans. Maybe it's the defense, you know, the Detroit loves its defense and he really has been good on the defensive end. So the same question to get us started off with Killian Hayes is Sadiq Bey. What did you see in Killian coming out or coming into the NBA? What was your pre-draft scout on him? What did you see in his shortened rookie season and then so far in year two? Yeah, so in the shortened rookie season, or sorry, actually, let me start before that. I loved Killian Hayes as a prospect. I wasn't as high on him as draft Twitter. I saw a lot of people putting him like, uh, well, no, actually I was. I put Killian Hayes for so I was pretty high. I loved his ability to play off screens. I liked the shot. I thought the defense was pretty good. And I thought he could make some good passes. So it was a pretty, I, I had a pretty simple scouting report on him, which is just like you can play him with other guards. Like he, he just felt like a modern point guard. However, I think a lot of people underestimated how raw he is because he played in Europe at a, in Germany on a pretty good pro team uh, that like now still gets some really good players like I think people underestimated how raw he was coming into the NBA, and I think that's why he struggled. For me, it's always been weird that people have questioned Killian Hayes because he's now played 43 combined NBA games. Like My favorite thing about him last year was that floater. I really loved how he used it. I felt he could have been and should have been more confident in it. 
Um, this year, like you said, I think the thing that's turned the tide is definitely the defense because you watch that you watch every minute of him and he is engaged. He doesn't take plays off. He's also getting assists. I mean, if you look back, um, dating back to pretty much middle of last month, he's been pretty good. All things considered, he missed a game and then you take out the next two. If you kind of want to fulfill this it's seven games, almost a month, um, where he had that 13 and 10 double, double. If you start with that game to where he is now, he's actually been pretty good. Seven points a game, four assists per game, five rebounds, EM on 41% shooting. Like, that's a huge jump from what he averaged last year, which was seven points per game, five assists, three rebounds, and then that was on 35%. So I think there's a lot of potential still with him, and I think he's his timeline was just looked at. I don't know how to say this right, but like his timeline was definitely viewed wrong coming out of the draft, and that's probably why the expectations are whack. So I know I'm going to have to bring up this name because Wes texts me about it, not all the time, but quite frequently. So I don't know if you're a comp guy. Like I always, I always feel bad asking NBA draft scouts like the, the comp. Who's the NBA comp? Because I know those are hard to do. But if you could give us, maybe if you can look back in your notes or what, if you can remember what you thought his comp was coming into the league. Because what, where I was going with that was Wes likes to think of him or see him as possibly a Lonzo Ball light type player moving forward because I think there is some faith in the catch and shoot three now the defense and even though he's a good passer maybe not always on the ball do you see that whatsoever did you see that when you were scouting him coming in and what was the original comp if you do have it for us yeah so I looked up what comp I had and I actually didn't have one for him um but I do like the Lonzo transgression I guess like where he's just going to be like New Orleans wanted him to be a wing and kind of in Chicago, he's played that role a little bit just as an off ball point guard when it's not like transition. And I, I don't know. I, I think that actually is probably a good fit for him is to be that Lonzo of the future. That's probably his best role considering he plays defense. He can shoot, uh, should be able to shoot. I should say, I don't know. I think also one thing about that is that if the NBA three point percentage as a whole wasn't down, his three point percentage would also be higher. Like, I genuinely believe there's something with the balls that are throwing guys off, which sounds weird for professional players to be saying that, but it's happened before. The there's only there's really no other change that could have caused the league to go this down. Like there's no year over year changes outside of like the fans, but even then the fans were there for a good portion of the season last year. Yeah. And I know a lot of listeners are going to say that's ridiculous. The thing with the ball and I haven't tweeted or talked a lot. And listen, I I understand how far away, even though I played division one basketball, I understand how far away from the NBA I was. I get it. Like me more than anybody. I realized I was nowhere close to to the NBA, but I was a pretty good shooter. And the, the texture of the ball, the feel of the ball, the brand of the ball, like it bothered me. You know, like I live in Kansas, we played with Spalding and then Colorado played with, with Wilson. And it's still like, I, I hate the Wilson basketball because of that, because in high school, we usually have to go play with Wilson. So there, there is something to it, even if it's just mental, I think there is something to it. And like you said, three point shooting across the league, what's the other reason and rationale for it? Um, but to continue on with this, so we, you talk about Killian and this can lead us into Cade and that's the pick and roll. So let, let's let this transition into both of these guys and then into Cade. Do you think these are guys that need the pick and roll to flourish? Can they be successful in other ways? And obviously the Pistons roster doesn't have that guy right now. So is that something that they need to emphasize in the offseason to help make these guys better? Yeah, I mean, I really do think Cade, for example, his assist would be a lot higher if you just look at so many different things like Sadiq Bay, you know, shooting over 30% from three would do a lot for Cade's numbers. He would, instead of be averaging five assists per game, he'd probably be almost at six. Like 
which would put him at like 14, six and six. So I think, I think definitely getting more guys that can do more things helps can only be good for your team. So what have you seen from Cage so far through 16 games? Um, Has there been anything that when you scouted, you're like, man, I thought he'd be better at this through 16 games or anything. You're like, man, he's better than what I thought he was going to be because I have a couple things, but I want, want to let you go first. Like what has surprised you about his numbers or the, the, the games that you have seen? Yeah, I mean, I've liked him. I think he's good, fearless kind of going to the rim. The only two things that have been really surprising are one, that he's not finishing at the rim at a super high level yet. Um, and two, just the three-point ball, like he's going to be fine. I don't think this is a long-term issue. But the three-point shot is just not as good as it was in college. I thought the 40% that he shot from three was legit. But I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like worried about any of either of those things really long-term. I think strength and just consistency will help us a lot yeah I mean I think the strength thing is going to be huge he's actually had okay so I'm going to ask you because you watch you know you watched him plenty in college it's like he has more wiggle to his game than what I realized Richard like he has been able to create advantage and opportunities in one-on-one situations against very high level defenders I'm thinking Matisse Thibel and then there was a matchup the other night I can't remember who off the top of my head now like was that something you expected him like I know the finishing has to get better don't get me wrong but just the ability to create those advantage against these higher level defenders has been very impressive to me yeah and one that came to mind is uh against LA which I know is kind of a sore subject to even bring up on a Piston podcast (laughs) But like he ISOed Anthony Davis, and that was a massive flash. Like I, I think he got blocked on one of them, but like he took him multiple times, was fearless, and like I know he beat him on one. And I don't know. To me, that stuff is huge. Like you look for in rookie year, you don't look for them being a twenty-five and five game. You know, like they're not all Tyreek Evans who kind of fluffed his stats. But I don't know. I, I really do think that there's a lot of flashes to his game that, like I, I really don't see. A, any sign for long-term concern with him. Everything kind of just feels the same. I think the ankle really threw him off, though. I think the ankle is the root of the struggles. I don't think it's a Cade Cunningham problem. I think it was just a health and having to overcome that obstacle. Like You see at the All-Star break, post-All-Star break, a lot of rookies and second-year players take a small jump of production, and I think you're going to see that exact same thing, but I don't think this is going to be small. I think he's going to average over 20 points per game after the All-Star break, is my guess. So I want to ask about the other end of the floor because I've actually been impressed there. I'm not saying he's perfect. I've even done some breakdowns that have highlighted some off-ball focus issues, but it's not about effort. Like I just think he loses focus a little bit, and maybe you could say those things go together, and I, I guess I, there, there's an argument there, but I see him engaged for them. Usually it's just like these glaring times where all of a sudden he loses that focus, but he works hard. He's not. He's, he is willing to do the dirty work. He's not always going to stay in front at the point of attack, but I just think he's been better defensively than what I thought he was going to be. I feel like that was a knock you heard a lot on him coming out of college. Have you been, are you surprised to hear that? I know you don't get to watch every Pistons game. I don't know what his defensive rating is. This is just off the eye test, but did you see any potential for a, at least a, a average NBA defender or maybe slightly above average long-term? Yeah. So I, um, I thought Cade would be like average because he gets blown by pretty easily. That was like my one major flaw of him. It's like, hey, he's not going to be great on defense. But when you're that good on offense, it doesn't matter. Um, So for me, it hasn't been that bad. I don't think like just looking at some of the stats like on Synergy, his isolation numbers are really good. Only 19 possessions, but he's in the 81st percentile across the league. Unfortunately, he's ones with more legit 
um, sample size spot up in ball handlers. He's at the 20th percentile, but like the ISO defense has been a lot better than I thought. Like I really thought he'd get blown by so much more because it happened at college, but who knows? Maybe it's a team thing. I, I like, I think he's going to be average on defense, which when you're that good offensively, that is a win. Yeah, absolutely. I think his my biggest knock for him defensively is when he's guarding a shooter, he overhelps at times and then he allows a shooter to get a shot off. You know, he loses, he, he gets a little bit too far away. I'd like to see him get a little bit, stay a little bit more attached. But we've talked about Sadiq, we talked about Killian, we talked about Cade. You helped, you know, allude to this a little bit earlier with a rim protector. I want to talk about now for the next little bit about some guys who may be joining this roster next offseason where we're into this, you know, 22 games, the Pistons haven't been great. They're going to have a high lottery pick as long as the ping pong balls bounce the right way. So I'm going to bring in our guy, Wes Davenport, and we're actually going to play sheet or sham here in the middle of the episode. Usually we save it to the end. So I'm going to let Wes describe the game to you, Richard. We're going to play it here head to head against each other. This will be all about draft prospects. When the game is over, we'll, di- we'll dive a little bit deeper into each of these guys. Wes, take it away. Yeah, so uh, Richard Price, sheet or sham? Sheet is true. Uh, sham is false. Sheet's true because ball don't lie. Um, so we've got five questions here. There's a six for a tiebreaker just in case. We're going to keep track and see uh, who gets more correct. And like I said, these are all true or false. So we'll just jump right in. Um, I think I'll ask you, uh, Bryce, the first one. Uh, sound good, guys? All good. All right. Richard, you good? All right. I'm nervously ready. <laughs> Okay, so uh, first one, Sheed or Sham, Carmelo Anthony averaged more blocks per 40 minutes in college than Paolo Benchero. Uh, I'm going to go true. Er, sheed. Sorry, sorry, Sheed, 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 Sheed. My bad. <laughs> I will also go Sheed. You guys are both right. Uh, that is Sheed. That is true. Carmelo Anthony averaged 0.9 blocks per 40 and Paolo 0.7. Uh, I just found it kind of interesting that both of those guys, if you look at their performance, Per 40-minute stats, very similar across the board. Even uh, rebounds are similar. Assists are very similar. It was just kind of an interesting comparison um, per 40 minutes. So next one, uh, Sheed or Sham, Chet leads the nation in total blocked shots so far this season. Uh, That's got to be Sham. I'm going to say Sheed because I want to just follow Richard's answers, but I got to be true to the game. So I'm going to say my initial thought was Sheed. Okay, it, it's it's Sham. Uh, so he is, I believe, tied for second. He has 28 total on the year, uh, and Jamarian Sharp has 33. But he's averaging 3.5 blocks per game, along with 14 points, 37% from three, and seven boards. And then a little nugget is Jalen Duran actually averaging uh, more blocks per game at 3.6. Wow. Well, that just blew my mind. Which 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 part, Richard? Well, the the sharp guy in Western Kentucky I know is a, a giant. That's why I, it wasn't him that I had in mind. But my whole answer was based on the fact that like college is stupid. The leading scorer is almost never the number one pick or like a top guy. It's always some random guy in a mid major who gets like all these chances. But Jamarian Sharp is a giant. I don't know if you've ever seen him. Uh, so I watched a Western Kentucky game recently, and that does not surprise me that it's him. But the other thing is just like. I don't know. Uh, the Duran getting it, like he had mold. I don't know. He It should, shouldn't shock me because I think he only has had one game now, or as, as of last week, he had one game with under three blocks, and it was like his first zero block game. So it's not too surprising, but also it is surprising. Well, what's up with Western Kentucky? Because isn't that where Bassey went to? Yeah. So they, they must have something yeah, with, with Robinson. 
Oh, yeah. So they, they just like have a big man factory there. <laughs> yeah, this guy's never playing in the NBA. Though. Oh, okay, okay. A little, di- little different of a big man. I got it. Okay. All right, Wes, back to you. Number three. All right, next one. So Jabari Smith has the highest individual offensive rating per 100 possessions of any of the top three prospects, uh, and those top three being Paolo, Chet, or Smith. Sheed or Sham? Sheed. It's got to be Sheed. It is Sham. Uh, so what? he. Yeah, Chet, actually. Uh, individual per 100% possessions offensive rating. His is 128. Jabari's second with 125. And then Paolo's third, 117. Wow. Wow. That one, you got me boomed. All right. Uh, next one. Uh, Sheed or Sham, Jalen Duran is averaging the highest percentage from the floor of any of the top four prospects. <sighs> Sham. Sham. You're both right. It is Sham Chet, actually. 71% from the floor. Jalen is at 65. What's Jabari? Uh, I did not write that one down, so I don't think hey, it was if close. you want a crazy one, Kendall Brown, who is slowly sneaking up, that man is a wing shooting 72% from the field. From the field? From the field. So that's not a name I'm super familiar with, but one of my one of my guys at Detroit Bad Boys, Steve Peltier, he sent me a breakdown he's doing of all these guys, and that was um, a guy that he mentioned. You know, he he wrote a lot about in his article, and so I was reading through it, and that's what one of the biggest things he has seventy three percent. So the score right now for the listeners is Richard three, I'm at two, and we have what one left, West? Just the fifth we one. We have one oh, left, man. and then there is a tiebreaker if we need it. Okay. I, Richard, I will let you answer first on this. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, Sheed or Sham, Chet averages more stocks per game than Evan Mobley did last year. Oh, man. I feel like it's equal. I'm going to say Sheed. And I have no choice but to say Sham. It is Sheed. Uh, Evan Mobley <laughs> averaged 3.7, and Chet has four so far this year. Wow. That is okay. I knew I knew Mobley's was north of three, so that's why I was like, "Well, if you said Chet averaged what three point something blocks a game, yeah, had the most, like, most total blocks." I'm like, "He has to be it." Like, we played this. We played it now three times. We didn't keep score the first time, but we have the. I've lost every time. Essentially, is what I'm trying to say, Richard. Wait, so, wait, what was the tiebreaker? Yeah, go ahead and ask the tiebreaker, and then we'll get into the prospect. So, go go with the tiebreaker, Wes. Uh, Sheet or Sham, one of the top four prospects, leads the NCAA in player efficiency rating. Uh, it's probably Chet, so... Uh, Sham. Sham, because actually it's probably Kendall Brown. It's uh, Sham, but it's Keegan Murray. Oh, duh. Yes, that dude's been a monster at Iowa. Yes, <laughs> that makes sense. Well, that was, that was a much harder one than any of the other ones, I think. That, that one stumped me. Well, that's why it was the tiebreaker. <laughs> Wes knows I'm not going to get any of them right anyway, so he just – but all right, Wes, thank you, my guy. I appreciate it. Hopefully the listeners enjoyed that. I, I know I always enjoy playing even though I'm not any good. Richard crushed it, got four out of five correct, uh, five out of six counting the tiebreaker. Um, but let's get into these actual prospects now, Richard. So Chet is the guy – like I don't know what – when people say unicorn, I don't know what they mean necessarily but to me Chet is like there's something fascinating about him because he's like he's he's a twig he's so skinny and I'm like he shouldn't get done what he gets done so just give the listeners your quick little not it doesn't have to be super quick but just a quick scouting report on Chet Holmgren at Gonzaga and what they would expect to see if they saw him play and then his potential going into the NBA 
Yeah, so I'm not there on Unicorn with him anymore. Or I really never was because I felt like a lot of that stuff was too good for high school but not good enough for college. Like he doesn't create his own shot like he did in high school. Like he he was doing ISOs from the three-point line. He is not doing isolation possessions from the three-point line in college. In fact, most of his plays are a lot of play finishing. There's really not a lot of self-creation like there was in high school, which was the big reason for his billing. However, on the defensive end, despite him being an absolute twig, the man is getting tons of rebounds. He can just literally reach over guys before the ball gets there and still holds on to the ball. He has super long arms. His shot blocking is one of the greatest I've ever seen just because his timing is literally as close to perfect as you can get. And his, the way he affects the shot is really good. He's also a great finisher at the rim, shoots 83% on twos. Like That's not a coincidence. And he can dunk literally anything. Outside of that, he can kind of stretch the floor. It's inconsistent right now, but it will be good. The question for him, really, there's only two ways that he busts. One, the lack of playmaking and just the shooting. Like, because he's still a good playmaker. He can pass out of the post, but he's just not like the, the self-creator, which would have made him a true unicorn. But obviously not a finished product. He's still pretty young. He's, his body is nowhere near done uh, growing. I mean, he's seven seven foot under 200 pounds. Like, it's ridiculous. The, it's all about upside with him. I don't know if you're going to get a whole lot outside of shot blocking from day one. So I want to throw out two comps and then you just tell me if you like them, don't like them, or if you have a different one. So I've, I've personally seen the Evan Mobley one. And then also, so I'm a reference Steve Peltier again, Detroit bad boys doing a big time article on, on 10 different um, of these prospects. He brings up Kristaps Porzingis, someone you're very familiar with as a Mavs fan and a guy we'll talk about later. Do you like either of those two comps or is there something a little bit different? Or, or if you don't like those comps either, or why, why would you not? So you said Porzingis and who? Uh, Evan Mobley. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Mobley one is definitely the more comparable one. I don't like the Porzingis one at all because his whole thing is shooting and theoretically just blocking. But I I don't know. Porzingis has zero playmaking ability, even like as a passer. There's the instincts, I think, are a lot worse. Like there's a little bit of a gap. Mobley's a lot better for comparison. And honestly, it's probably going to be what the comparison ends up as. Got you. Okay, so let's move on to Paolo Benchero at Duke. Um, uh, he's actually one of the – these are the only two guys I've actually seen play. I watched that game. You know, Paolo was really good in the first half. Looks like a guy that can just straight get a bucket. What's the, the skinny on him and what we've seen from him in college and what he projects to be in the NBA? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of people don't like this term anymore. But have if you've ever seen a bucket, it is that man. He's at three while this going upside. I mean, like it's stupid that people hate it because of like the stigma. I love it. I love it. No, I mean, like it's a still. You know what it means? Like it does. The people have people have an issue with it because of the stigma. Like I get it. Um, the person who kind of made that worse has had some horrible takes, so I get it. But um, he get dude. He can score from all three levels. I think there's passing potential there, and while the defense isn't anything necessarily to write home about if he's good on that end like if he's average you got a winner like you're talking about a guy who could easily score tw- I, I think he's gonna average 20 easy in his sleep in the NBA at as early as year two you're getting an offensive-minded forward like you look at how valuable 610 score is like someone such as Kevin Durant and you see what he does I don't think he's Kevin Durant by any means but he has a very similar skill set with height combination I love it. That's, I mean, scoring, is there a potential as a defender in any, like his, 
is there the athleticism there to be any sort of rim protector or is it just going to have to be a guy you hope can be at least a not too much of a negative based on scouting report defense position defense is he going to be able to pull down five rebounds is there any creation for teammates like is there even any makings of that that you've seen so far yeah definitely the rebounds uh, I think he's a better defender away from the rim than close to the rim he can force some turnovers averages a steal a game um, the creation hard to say I would say that he probably gets a couple at least in the NBA um, probably north of three actually and then rebounding is fully there he will definitely be a good rebounder I'm not worried about that the rim protection is just more of instincts and I don't know what his length is like but also just like the athleticism is completely fine he's a good athlete I don't I wouldn't say he's like you know he's almost neutral as an athlete relative to the rest of the class so what about Jabari Smith? Okay, this is a guy I was not super familiar with. I don't know how quickly he's risen. Like, I don't know if you knew he was going to be one of the top three guys. And I'll ask you that in just a second coming into the year or if this is materialized throughout the season. You know, I, this, is what, this is why I bring guys like you on. You know this. I just trust what you tell me and other guys because I believe in you and I stay in my lane. But this is the one that's kind of surprised me. And people are talking about him more and more. I haven't had a chance to watch him yet. Let the listeners know what is Jabari Smith about and what is he, what is the potential for him in the NBA? Yeah, so Jabari Smith is a forward uh, kind of, this actually I'm about to read the same script I read for, um, for Paolo, but a little bit different. So let me start by answering the where he came from. He started as a kind of guy who people knew who he was. He was like a top 10 recruit. And, you know, people were like, hey, this guy could be the sleeper to watch out for. And I, I loved him in high school, but I never thought he would actually do it. He can score. He can finish super long, really athletic. Kind of reminds me the way he gets to the rim of Scotty Barnes, where to me, I, I called him Giannis-like strides. I don't think it's the same level, but just the ease, the way he blows by guys, the length. He gets to the rim. He can also shoot threes. He's a really good defender, stays in front of his man and just shuts you down. There's just so much upside. He has all the star makings. I don't know if he's necessarily a rim protector in any means, um, but he is a good defender. And then the only flaw I've found for him so far is, hey, like he loves step-back jump shots. The problem is he doesn't create space on his step-back jump shots. He, he's like dribbling backwards and then shooting more than stepping back and shooting. Oh, uh, okay. I, the, yeah, yeah. He's not like, yeah, yeah. He's not like hopping back. He's just dribbling away from the defender. Right. It, it's not really a one motion thing. It, or it is a one motion thing, but it's not like Harden has a step back, right? Like the, the gap between the two right now is massive. The, if you want to become the elite scorer, master the step back. It's such a minor flaw. It doesn't have any bearing on, I don't know if I'd pick him one or two. You know, it has nothing to affect that. It's just something to keep in mind. Like that's the only flaw I found for him that like stands out. Okay, so here's my question now. Let's uh, we'll get to the piss. I promise, listeners, we're going to get to the Pistons and the fit and who would be the best and all that stuff. I promise we're gonna we're gonna make the connection in just a second. But are those un without question? Are those going to be the top three picks in the draft right now? If the draft were, were soon, uh, the only two I would say are a lock for the top three are Jabari and Paolo. I, I think third is an absolute wild card. Okay, so let's just stay with those two. Who do you have one? Who do you have two? I have Paolo one, Jabari two. If the Pistons, would that change for the Pistons? Like, is there a better fit between those two? Let's go ahead and go all three. I know you put Chet out of there. 
And what would be the best fit for the Pistons, do you think? You know, a team that's in a rebuild. You talked about shot blocking. You know, is Chet maybe a better fit because there's a longer-term potential upside and all of that? I know this is still a team that's not necessarily drafting for fit with where they're at, but at a certain point, you have to start fitting pieces together. So which one of those guys is the best fit for the Pistons? It's a, to me, I I wouldn't take Chet just because the risk is so high. And when you already are kind of on the fence with Killian, like where we don't know, if what he's going to be, that is an unbelievably risky rebuild because you're risking really being stuck in that stage for a while. I, I don't know if I would want to be the team to do that. Luckily, the Pistons are still in an early stage where they could afford it, but I don't think they're desperate enough. Like Unless they really think a big man like rim protector, rim runner, rim finisher helps Cade that much, I don't think they should do it. So I'm going to scratch him out, and I would say that's a coin flip. Pick your poison, whoever your scouting report – or poison, pick your, I guess – potion and uh like because i mean god you're you're winning you're winning the lottery with one of those two guys like those guys are absolute studs um if you want someone who's going to be that all-around superstar upside go jabari if you want someone who i think is going to be a steady very good player automatic bucket who just i think his scoring is you know similar to the way of I don't want to say Jason Tatum, but like it's going to be very similar to Jason Tatum, those, that, that mold of a player. If you think that can work, take Paolo. I think overall Paolo is the most talented player. Jabari's got a really strong case, but again, like whichever one you're scouting, trust, you cannot go wrong. And they seem somewhat similar players. Like Just listening to you talk about it, and you even said like as you went through your scouting report that it was going to sound a little bit similar. So here's my question. Do you think either of those guys, we, t- I, we we hit on Jeremy Grant just a little bit and I talked about wondering about his long-term fit. Does he want to stay around? And, you know, if we, let's say we take Jabari or Paolo and you have Cade, now Jeremy's going to end up number three. Let's just say he's comfortable in that role. Let's say he came to Detroit like the reports and he wants to play in a black city, black coach, black GM. He wants to stay. What would the fit be long-term then? Like can him and either one of those guys play together? Like I feel like there's a little bit of similar positions there. And then you add in a Sadiq Bay as well. Like again, I know you don't draft for fit when you're in this mold, but is there going to be a little bit of overlap starting if if we take that guy or does that mean one of those guys would have to be on the move no i think i think it's fine i mean i have a stance especially watching the maps so much that uh that you can never have enough ball handlers the same way you can never have enough shooters as long as you know how to you have a coach that pretty much can balance it i think that's the more important thing um for me it's i don't think they're a bad fit at all like having someone who can ease the load for Cade and make things easier i think it's good and adding one more thing to just kind of the difference between Jabari and Paolo. I would say the difference is you could probably squeeze Jabari at a, at a small ball five much more easily than Paolo. Like Jabari scales up, Paolo kind of scales down. You could play him at the three, you could play him at the four. Jabari is probably a four or five. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That's very interesting little nugget. Uh, uh- um, so you, you said you'd have, we talked about Chet, you said you'd have, so you said the wild card starts at the three for you right now. Who are the other guys in that mix? Because again, like as I was reading through Steve Feltier's article, you know, Jay Nivey's a, a name that he brought up. Um, Kendall Brown is a guy you were talking about. Does he have that kind of potential to get into the top three? You know, who are, who are a couple other guys? We don't have to go in, as in depth, but that if Pistons fans, you know, that are probably thinking there's no way we score the number one pick again, maybe don't get lucky with the number two. So if we're in three to five to six, 
who are some of those guys and who would be the guy that you're like, yeah, that guy would really fit into what the Pistons need right now? Yeah, Jaden Ivey would probably, uh, you know, I have two guys that's 3A and 3B. Jaden Ivey is probably more or more deserved, deserving, excuse me, of the number three pick. However, he's probably the worst fit of the three. Um, I would say the next one is, this is the guy who I currently have three on my board, is Nikola Jovic over in Serbia. He's a 6'10", another 6'10 guy, uh, 6'10 shot creator who is just really special offensively but a disaster on defense. But, like, same kind of thing. When you're that – like, he's going to get that 15, 5, and 5 with ease. Like, his step back is ridiculous. One of the quickest shots I've ever seen for a 6'10 player. Has deep range. Like, I, I have high confidence that he translates to the NBA. And then my third choice in that bunch, that next bunch, would probably be Jalen – uh, Jalen Duren, who, if you want to go with the ultimate best fit, it is him as that big man who just defend. I, I think he's going to be a very good shot blocker, even if he's a little bit undersized. And he's also going to be a spectacular finisher at the rim. So I would say any of those three, if you really want to say a fourth, Kendall Brown is probably the guy. He's just, to me, when you're going at the top five, you probably want to swing for the absolute fences. And I don't know if Kendall Brown is a superstar mold or like one of the greatest role players in the league mold. So it depends on what you're going for. So I want to ask more about Jaden Ivey, but I know what the listeners want to hear more about. And that's what a podcast is about. So we're going to go with what I know they want to hear more about. And that's Duran and Memphis. So that is going to be music to a lot of people's ears. Like, what is he like? Can we get a little just a little more in depth with him? I know you gave us just a little nugget and, and those nuggets of, you know, a rim protector. Like, is he really special in the pick and roll like a lob threat? Like, is there a comp you can give us? Is it is it a DeAndre eight? Like, I haven't seen him play. I haven't watched Memphis this year. So is it a DeAndre Ayton type guy? Um, I'm trying to think of some other special rim protector lob guys like is who, who, who are we looking at possibly seeing with, with if, if the Pistons ended up with that guy? that's a tough one i i'm bad at comparisons um for me the i'll give the rundown and tell me if this starts to sound like any player so pretty much he's going to dominate the paint on both ends like his recovery ability is stupid good um he can he's going to be versatile he's very athletic very quick on the perimeter he's a good rebounder really good shot blocking timing can shot block from any angle like whether it's behind help side you know standing at the rim and contesting he times it pretty well and phenomenal athlete the problem is he really just doesn't play offense outside of like the paint. Like he's just kind of broken on that part right now. Granted, again, he is one year ahead of schedule and he's premature in college. So it could, that's not a, I don't think it's a long term issue just yet. And I don't know, his free throw percentage is 60%. I'm not, not super hopeful. The real worry is how does his offense go in the NBA? So it's not like anybody's just kind of limited to the paint, but like can switch. Because to me, outside of the shot blocking, like that almost sounded, this sounds ridiculous, but almost like Zubach almost or something. Or maybe he can be like a DeAndre Jordan, I guess. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, but you're talking switchability as a five, man. Yeah. Like he can play the five, block a shot, but also if we want to switch pick and roll, he can switch out. And I mean, I'm not saying he's going to stay in front of, you know, James Harden or whatever, but like theoretically, he's going to be a switchable five. So defensively, a, a really, really nice piece. And you think right away in the NBA? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He can switch. Well, how good he'll be at, at, at maintaining scores, it's a whole other question, but he can definitely switch. And 
handle guards. So I want to transition now into something you're really, really familiar with, and that's the Dallas Mavericks. So we have about 15 minutes left to go here in the episode, and I want to get some general NBA stuff. So I'm going to be honest with you, Richard. The listeners know this. I'm not going to say I'm an expert on the Pistons, but I watch every game. Like I feel comfortable staying in my lane talking about the Pistons. When it gets to the NBA, I'm a little bit more of a box score watcher, highlights, catch the game whenever I can when my when my wife lets me when there's not a Pistons game on. Usually NBA is not, not something she lets me watch. Um, but so I will be honest, my questions will be mostly stat based. You know, that's that's going to be the the most expertise I can bring. But I just want to start. How has the Jason Kidd experience been? You know, didn't it have the greatest reputation? I believe you and I talked about this. I don't remember your initial thoughts on bringing him in. But how has that gone so far in year one? Yeah, so I was very against the signings. It honestly didn't have a ton to do with on-court because my whole thing with NBA coaching is I think it's mostly ego management and just making sure everyone stays happy. Not necessarily drawing up X's and O's. Obviously, there are a lot of coaches that are like that, but Jason Kidd is not one of those that's going to say like, hey, let's let's run floppy here or hammer here, whatever. Like, you know, he's not going to do any of those. He doesn't have a whole lot of set plays. It's very let, let the players make it up their mind. I mean, like it's one of the few sports I think that you really just don't need a whole lot of uh, preparation in terms of plays before playing at any level, like just as the nature of the game. Uh, it's a reason you can go to pick up, not know a single person and just do your own thing and things just kind of flow naturally. So my thing with Jason Kidd is as long as he didn't let the locker room blow up, it's fine. Obviously he kind of got shafted in terms of uh, the, the way that the three point shooting is down because that was his big game plan was they got shooters. Uh, but the Jason Kidd experiment, the failures of the team are not his fault. Uh, the roster is horribly built. He's pretty limited in what he can do, but the defense has been a major improvement year over year. I think it's honestly one of the crutches of the team. So uh, Christos Porzingis, I know he's a guy that takes a lot of heat. People aren't always super happy with him. What have we seen? What have you seen from Christos this season? Are you encouraged? Has he been doing anything different, anything better, or has he been good? I've seen people tweet this, like anytime he has a good game, people are like, yeah, he always has good games. People just love to hate on him. What are your thoughts on Christos and especially this season? Yeah, people love to hate on him. That is very accurate. Um, If he could have the perfect. He could go twenty for twenty from three, and someone will. And I'd say more than someone. A good portion of Mavs fans would complain that he didn't play enough defense. If you take out the first three games where he was abysmal, he never shot above thirty five percent. He's having a killer year. He's he's averaging twenty one points per game. Um, he's played fifteen point games this year, but these are just the twelve excluding those first three. So twenty one points a game, two and a half assists, eight and a half rebounds, one steal, one and a half block on 49.5% shooting. The three-point shooting is down, but the defense, while it's not great, it's better than last year, and he's fully engaged. Like That is all you can ask for. He's in a tough situation, though, because I've felt this since he was in New York. The best way to play Kristaps Porzingis is to have him with a true center, and unfortunately with what the Mavs want to do, though, unless the center is Miles Turner, I don't think he can do it. He needs someone who can stand at the rim or let him be the rim man the roster is not built to maximize his game really on either end, but especially the defensive end. But I've, I really like his game. I've been a big proponent. He had the best year of his career last year. People just only talked about the defense or best year offensively at his worst defensive year. But I think the Porzingis experiment is fine right now. The only issue is he gets, he is held out 
every single time he gets a bruise. It does seem like he misses quite a few. I mean, obviously he misses quite a few games, but let's talk about Luka Doncic. Obviously all things start there. And again, like I'm just going to throw some stats at you and I'm interested then as someone who watches every game or most of the games to be like, I'm to get your reaction to those. So he's getting to the free throw line less and shooting a worse percentage. His two point percentage is lower, lowest true shooting percentage of his career, uh, more long twos than last year. Like, I'm not trying to be like negative, like Luca's not having a good year, but are those things you're seeing? Is he struggling being a little bit efficient this season or are those just stats that aren't telling the true story? Uh, I mean, I think it's a lot of stuff to do with makes and misses just not falling his way. But at the end of the day, he's settling a lot more than he ever did. I think he he's falling in love with a three-point shot emphasis a little bit too much. And there's times like where it just feels like he doesn't want to go to the rim. Like he said, the free throws are way down and he's bad at them. Like he's been bad at the free throws yet again. He's never shot above 75% from the line. Like for someone who should be, it's disappointing on that regard. Um, I think the biggest thing you can root to it though, is that Rick Harlow did a lot for him, whether Mavs fans want to admit it or not. Rick Carlisle definitely maximizes his players, and Luca was one of them, and I think that's kind of showing. We'll see as the season progresses and chemistry is fully grown and what happens in the playoffs, but that's my two cents is that I think a lot of it has to do with Carlisle being gone. So I want to ask about a trade that ESPN had. Bobby Marks, okay, Dallas okay, receives Harrison Barnes and Marvin Bagley, and I want to talk specifically about Bagley because this is a guy that Pistons fans have talked a lot about. Sacramento sends out THJ, Dorian Finney-Smith, Willie Cauley-Stein, two second-round picks. If you're the GM of the Mavs, do you have any interest in that trade whatsoever? Would it make any sense at all to you? So you said Willie Cauley-Stein, Dorian, and two picks? And THJ. Oh, and Hardaway for Barnes Barnes and Bagley? Bagley. Yeah. Ah oh, man, Hardaway's been bad. I Harrison Barnes has had like a a career year right now. Yeah. Ah oh, man, I probably say no. Honestly, if we're getting if they're getting rid of Hardaway because the shooting has been so bad this year, uh, yes, Harrison Barnes helps with that. I'd rather get Buddy Healed than Harrison Barnes. I, I know it sounds kind of ridiculous considering Barnes has been better, but. I mean, Buddy Heald, I, I don't, I would take Buddy Heald. That's probably the one move I would do. But everything else is fine. So I want to ask specifically about Marvin Bagley now. Because again, that's a guy, I, I don't know where the link was, where the reports came, you know, but, you know, and then Pistons got excited about it. Is what, what do you see in Bagley? Because I've seen you tweet about him, I think as early as yesterday being Saturday is this a guy you still believe can have a decent I think there's a guy you always compare him to I it, it's escaping oh, yes. right, that you say yes. if he if he would play like this this is how he would be successful I can't I can't think of it right now so I'll let you tell the listeners yes so as a Mavs fan this is obviously front of mind you haven't seen any role player as good as Brandon Wright was with us so he came over from Golden State he was a top 10 pick was abysmal he couldn't do anything he had his best year was eight and four in 17 minutes per game. He really couldn't crack the rotation. Um, comes over to Dallas, was involved with some trades and stuff. Signs as a free agent after the Mavs win the title. Probably one of the greatest moves the Mavs have ever made in free agency, which says a lot of, about the team. But um, <laughs> he he came over to be – we haven't seen anyone like him really in this role since he retired. He got injured, unfortunately. He was out of the league by 30. In his time with Dallas, 
he was ridiculously efficient. Before getting traded for Rajon Rondo, he was shooting 75% through 27 games, and it wasn't a fluke. I mean, he was just set up perfectly in that offense. One of the best pick-and-roll men I've ever seen in my life. Couldn't play defense, couldn't really pass, couldn't really shoot. But, God, was he good at his role. Like, he was the best pick-and-roll finisher I've seen in years. Like, I really don't know anybody better that I've seen since his time in Dallas over the last seven years. And and that's, like, across the league. If Bagley would accept that, like, one of my biggest – the two biggest things are that why I believe it are Bagley has unreal touch at the rim. People don't seem to realize that. He does favor his left hand a little bit much. But he can finish with both hands. Um, his touch is elite. He's a great rebounder as we all know, and uh, he, even in per minutes, is still putting up really good numbers. Like, every year, just for the most part, outside of the 13-game season, his sophomore year, he shoots 50%. Like, tell me that if if his role was scaled down to be that 20 minutes a game, go in, just be dominant in the pick and roll, and score at the rim. And maybe, like, because Bagley likes shooting threes, if you want to take a three a game, A, open up the floor a little bit for that pick and roll, it's beautiful. Like, it is absolutely beautiful and Marvin Bagley is, I think, the only player in the league that could do what Brandon Wright did back then today. Richard, you just sold me because I've said multiple times, and it's partly because I haven't followed Marvin Bagley's career, but like what you just said, and again, we talked about this when we were going through the draft prospects, is exactly what Pistons fans want. They want to see a pick and roll guy to play with Cade and Killian and give him that option, a lob threat and all of that. Like now you, you gave the caveat that if he would accept this as his role, which I do think plays into a lot of players' success. If, you know, do you, are you willing to play the role that, that is going to make you the most successful? Are you going to try to be more, especially as they go later in their careers? You know, with Marvin Bagley, if that's truly what he can be, I want to see that. Like I want the Pistons to make that call, make that trade happen and bring him to Detroit because I think that that's a role that he could really, that this team needs. And it, it would be really interesting to see if he could play that out. I want to ask now with just a few minutes left to go about a guy that you were really high on in the draft process, a guy you were probably high on, more high on than anybody else, a guy that you sold me on just like you just did Marvin Bagley. And that's JRE, Jeremiah Robinson Ertle coming out of Villanova, same, same college as Sadiq Bay having a good start to his rookie season. Again, we're recording this on Sunday, so we haven't got to see the Pistons Thunder game on Monday night, but you know, this will will help as as Pistons fans have now seen that game and got to see JRE play against our Pistons. What did you like so much about him through the draft process and then what have you seen from him in his rookie season? Yeah, I mean, he was a pros pro at Villanova, just did a little bit of everything and um, really just felt like his game would translate. I didn't see anything glaring about his game except he's slightly slow laterally. And I think he just does – he's a master of the little things. So I think it's almost translated pretty well. He's The shooting has been better than it was at Villanova, which like, I don't know, that that was a no-brainer to me because I, I felt like the, the shot was fine. Um, shooting 35% from three, which is totally fine as a stretch four. He's fine on defense, just does, like I said, just a little bit of everything. And he feels like he just makes his teammates better, which as a rookie is kind of rare. So as we close out the show, let's just stay on this rookie, talking about these rookies and what we've seen from them. So Jalen Green, Evan Moby, Scotty Barnes, we've obviously talked about Cade Cunningham. That rounds out the top four. Which one of those threes has impressed you the most? I mean, it's got to be Scotty Barnes relative to everything as – Evan Mobley's been the best, but Scotty Barnes being this good offensively year one is absolutely mind-blowing. 
What about any other guys? You know, Duarte's put up good number, numbers. Davion Mitchell has been a guy that honestly I, looks like I was wrong about. I, I thought people were too high on him. Josh Giddy, another guy that, again, fans, as you're listening to this, we will have watched play Monday night against our Pistons. You know, I've seen people just rave about his passing ability. Is there another guy, you know, it, later in the first round, doesn't even have to necessarily be the lottery, that's made an impact in the r- rookie season that's really surprised you or impressed you? Um, you know, let me pull up the 2021 draft class because I, off the top of my head, I mean, it's been a really good, I guess Franz, Franz, or you said in the lottery or outside of the lottery? Either one. Any, I mean, anybody in the draft, to be honest, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be first, even if there's a second round pick, but just, you know, maybe guys that, you know, again, you do this a ton, you know, and so guys that maybe are performing even a little better than what you thought. Yeah. I mean, it's Franz or Herb Jones in, um, in New Orleans has been a rotation player, not a liability on offense. The the jump he's made over the last two years, he went from not being able to do anything offensively outside of pass. His junior year at Alabama shot 8%, 7% from three to 35 as a senior, and now isn't a liability on offense. Incredible story. So I would say him or Franz Wagner. Yeah, Franz has been really impressive as well. So I want to get you get you out of here with just two more questions. In the Western Conference, who is your who is the best team right now? You don't have to tell. I'm not asking you to make a finals prediction, Richard. I'm not saying who's going to win the championship. You know, who is the best team in the Western Conference right now? We've seen the Warriors and Suns go ahead ahead, but the Suns were short-handed. The Warriors just lost to the Spurs now, backing that game up. Who's the best team in the Western Conference as we sit today? Uh, I'm going with the Phoenix Suns. I think the schedule is a, both teams have had it kind of nice, but Golden State didn't even leave the state of California beyond one time through like the first month almost. So I, I'm going Phoenix. Who is the best team in the Eastern Conference right now? Um, man, I want to, I, I almost want to be different and not say Brooklyn, but like, because maybe Milwaukee is climbing and Miami's really good, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Brooklyn. Yeah, that's what I, I was looking at the standings this morning and noticed all of a sudden that Milwaukee has really, really climbed back in there. And, you know, that had to do a lot with injuries and guys being out. And now they're back to 15 and nine and they're what a game and a half behind Brooklyn. I really wouldn't be surprised if Milwaukee ends up being the number one seed when it's all said and done. But it's impressive what Brooklyn's doing still. Um, do you think we're going to see Kyrie play this year? No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think so either. I think. Uh, do you think we'll see Kyrie play again at all? Yes, I think he'll play another NBA game, but not this season. With the Nets, I'm torn. That's fifty fifty. Okay. All right. We'll get. I'll let. I'll let Richard go on that one. We quizzed him way too much. We were unfair on this one, uh, but he was really good at it. He's the man. He's the best, and he's my go-to for all things draft, NBA, and just basketball in general. And I have a blast talking with him. And this one was a great one. I want to thank him again for joining us. I we I if he'll come back, you guarantee that we're going to have him back probably in season, and then definitely when we get into the off season. Right now, Richard, let everybody know that isn't following you yet, who isn't listening. To to your podcast and everything else you're doing them let let them know where they can find you yeah so at Mavs draft is where I do most uh most of my work and you know I do locked on NBA draft every Tuesday that's uh that's pretty much anything that I anything I do is going to fall under one of those two windows and thank you so much for having me Bryce this is all good as always
Yeah, absolutely. I knew it was good. We, Wes and I talked about it for the last three days, how excited we were and how much fun we knew it was going to be. And it lived up to all of that. And I hope you, the listeners, liked it as well. As I do closing out every episode, I want to thank Wes Davenport for everything he does for the podcast, which includes making the outlines, taking notes throughout the episode, and of course, running the Sheet or Sham game for myself and our guests. Speaking of Sheet or Sham, we'd love some feedback on that and what you think of it, or if you have any suggestions to make it better. We appreciate all the interactions we get from our listeners away from the podcast, whether on Twitter, Facebook, or the Detroit Bad Boy website. Encourage all of you to reach out anytime you have thoughts on the Pistons or the podcast. Due to my high school basketball season starting and the schedule for the upcoming week, there will not be any instant recap and reaction episodes, but we will be back a week from now with another amazing guest. I will be joined by Brandon Dent, better known as Detroit Kool-Aid, from the Woodward Sports Network for an incredible episode wrapping up the week of Pistons action and the storylines around the team. Thank you, go Pistons, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.